It is Friday, February 2nd, 2018. My name is Daniel Bader, and this is the Android Central podcast for the doldrums before MWC. My name, I've said that. I'm going to introduce the other people now. Uh, Jerry Hildenbrand, how are you? I'm Chief Doldrum. How are you? You're (laughs) Chief Doldrum, that's right. Uh, And Inspector Doldrum, uh, Andrew Martinick, how are you? I'm doing just fine. And Lieutenant Doldrum, Russell Hawley, welcome back. Rear Admiral Doldrum. (laughs) Uh, Chief... um, uh, media analyst Russell Hawley, you, huh. you you gave all the all the good stuff yesterday on on television. Well done. You look pretty um, on TV, Russell. You do, man. I was that, those blue glasses. I was like, holy crap, he looks good. I do love these glasses. They do. They they bring out. You know, it's, it's the rug that brings out the room, man. It's not just the glasses. <laughs> it's it's the whole package, baby. <laughs> Yeah, let's just talk about Russell for an hour and a half. How's that? I could do that. How do you do well, it? I'm going to go, guys. This has been fun. <laughs> How do you do it? All right, let's talk about Android. Let's talk about um, let's talk about what's been happening the last week. So, like we've been saying the last few weeks, not a whole lot is happening on the device announcement side. Not a whole lot is happening on the news side in general. But there are a few things that we can talk about and. I think we're just going to kind of pick apart and and discuss some of the editorials that have come on uh, the site the last few weeks. Um, and we'll start with one that I I really liked, and I know everybody here really liked. And, Absolutely. And I know the readers appreciate it. It's called, We Need Restrictions on Government Surveillance, Not Limits on Google Assistant or Alexa. This is a, an editorial that Jerry wrote last weekend. And and I I encourage you to read it. It's in the show notes if you haven't. But the idea here is that a lot of people are quite upset at the notion of Amazon and Google and other companies using their voice assistant hardware and software to scrape as much data from us as as possible and turn that into actionable, contextual you know, metrics that they can use then to pass along to advertisers and for themselves. But also just the idea that it's super creepy that a company is constantly listening to us. And Jerry says, you know, yes, these things are important, but they're not the most important parts of it. Jerry, do you want to talk at all about this and help us understand it? Yeah. Uh, it's a, a thing came out like the, the week that I wrote that. A, uh, a security researcher, and it's something that's always been there. And nobody ever put the two and two together. Let's say Amazon and Google and eventually Apple, all of Microsoft, all these big companies are going to have a huge pile of your voice records. And some of the documents that were leaked out through, I, I believe it was Edward Snowden released them. I'm not sure. It leaked them out. The government has this really high tech speech rec- recognition that all it needs is a few seconds of your voice and it can make a, a voice print that it can match. Even if it's something you said ages ago when you were very young or something you will say in the future when you're very old, it will still be able to match it and tie it to you. And that makes it a little more concerning when Google and Amazon and everybody else has terabytes of users' voices. 
And yeah, that's, that's, I get it, how scary it is. But the solution is not to say, okay, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, whoever, you're not allowed to do that because they need that. These machine learning, we use the word learning, but it's just repetition. You keep feeding data to a machine over and over, and eventually it recognizes a pattern. If you don't keep that data and keep feeding it to it, it can't learn, quote unquote. So if we take that ability away from, you know, Alexa or Google Assistant or, you know, Derek's Star Trek assistant that he's building in his garage, whatever, they don't function very well. And to me, it's it's simple. Okay, let's get some oversight so the government can't just reach outside their bounds and take this stuff. If you know, they have a court case and they get a legitimate warrant and there's a need. I'm not going to say you, that shouldn't be done. I, you know, I have my own opinion, but for the good of society, maybe that's fine. But these just, you know, warrantless seizures and, and give me your phone and I want your data and, and it just happens. That's, that's all got to stop. And that's the solution to not being so scary because Amazon has you know, a bunch of your voices saved. Are we just letting these big companies off the hook though? I, you know, the, 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 the Googles and, and Amazons and, and Microsofts of the world, they're arguably, uh, in some cases, I'm not saying absolutely, but in some cases, just as powerful and just as influential as the governments that are absolutely at our, that, that are collecting all this data on us. And, you know, the, the, there's the potential here for. I, mean, I, I, you know, there's been a lot of pushback from readers on, on this article, and you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But you know, the people that are saying the government has wrote there, there are checks and balances built into the government, right? Theoretically, uh, the U.S. government in particular. Yeah, <laughs> but we um, saw those and whether or not they're today. being upheld, I don't. I, you know, I can't speak to that. Uh, the, well, the important thing there is that the checks and balances only matter if there's something happening that we're actually aware of. If it's not out in the public or, you know, if it's all clandestinely, uh, you know, gathered up, then we don't even know that it's going on and we can't put those checks into place. I think that that's the biggest difference. Um, it's a bit more transparent when an actual company is doing it. Well, it we, we we hope it is. Everybody should have their own opinion on that. Everybody that disagreed with me, you're right, because it's your opinion to have. My opinion is, so far, Amazon and Google haven't done anything we know about that they shouldn't. Google's policy on how they hold your data is very clear, and there's no evidence that they've ever breached their own policies. Amazon's isn't quite as clear, but they promise they're not going to do anything they shouldn't and they haven't when they do all bets are off if, you know tomorrow if we find out that google has secretly been selling our data i would love to see google dismantled and the you know the people in charge held accountable and the company gone forever there is no games to be played with that stuff but until they do something wrong you know how can we point any fingers it's a tough situation the important thing is to not, I, I think, and your your headline just absolutely nails it, is that people are 
looking at the Amazon, especially Amazon and Google, because they're kind of the the leading forces mm-hmm. in uh, in the voice data collection. But you, you can't just look at those. You have to look at the thing as a whole. Like, what does all of this collection mean? Having, I mean, we've seen lawmakers do the same kind of thing where they focus on things like Apple and Amazon, Google, Facebook. There's more than just that. There's all of this other, you know, quote unquote surveillance happening, even without these uh, oh, sure. you know, assistant speakers and things like that. It needs to be a broader, uh, a broader scope there. We, uh, we're all carrying around phones with multiple microphones and always listening capabilities, even if we don't have a Google Home or an Amazon Echo. That's, uh, yeah. that's a way bigger amount of, uh, of data and a wider potential attack surface. Uh, you know, I, anybody that ever wants to learn more about that when, when you know, I talk to them, go online and start searching about beacons at your local mall. And oh, see, yeah. yeah, Bluetooth beacons are horrifying. See just what your phone is doing. You have, you've given away your privacy. You have to decide if what you get in return is worth it. So, what do we get in return? Let's let's play devil's advocate for a moment. Um, obviously, the 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 companies that we're talking about Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon we're getting services in return. We're getting. Uh, free f- freebies in return, right? We're getting like look at look at what Amazon just did with Amazon Go, uh, which is the pilot project in Seattle that allows you to walk into what's essentially a grocery store. Uh, you can see it from your house. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And there's still You've not been in it yet. No, there's still freaking lines out the door every time I look. I'm oh. like, ah, screw that. <laughs> so think about what Amazon's getting from people walking into this store, picking up objects from the shelf and walking out without having quote paying for these items. You're they're getting how you interact with all these products and they will allow, it'll allow Amazon to target you better to sell you more things. And, and that's, that's a benefit. They are tracking you. They are distilling that information into actionable data so that they can better sell you things. But Jerry, what are we getting from the government surveillance? And I mean, that may be an obvious question, but what what are we benefiting from? From government surveillance? I, I'm not an anarchist. We need a a government safety net. Maybe you know you think it should be larger or smaller than I do, but we need police protection and we need the armed forces, and those groups need some intelligence to operate. I'm not going to say they don't. Uh, I guess security is what we get. It's just varying degrees of of thought about how much you need to give up and what security you get in return. That's where I'm. That's where I'm saying there's a bit more transparency because it's easier to see. Like I have a Google Home in my kitchen. I talk to it about things, and in return, I get a lot of uh, useful information and all these skills and all that kind of stuff. It's not such an easy transaction when you're talking about government surveillance. So let's let's also use this opportunity then to, to talk about another piece that Jerry wrote huh. this week because you were all and you and you continue to be and I think that's important all about putting security and privacy above above other 
um, uh, above other core competencies of the companies that we give our money to. And you wrote something the other day that, well, it was both an internal and an external existential crisis in the sense that, <laughs> um, and I'm referring to it, a piece you, you wrote called, I can't buy a phone from OnePlus until it cares about privacy and security. And let me tell you, that was not the initial title. <laughs> we won't get into exactly what that title was, uh, but that was not the initial title. So clearly, this is a narrative that applies both to n- enormous companies like Amazon, Google, and governments, but also to small companies, Chinese companies, companies that uh, – are are not given the benefit of the doubt anyway when it comes to privacy and security. But Jerry, you say that it just it the buck stops here. You have to you have to make a decision. There's a line in the sand right now and OnePlus is is not up to up to the task of selling products until they prioritize privacy and security. Walk us through this as well. Well they're they're there have been a few majorly publicized snafus around, I'll use that word, around OnePlus and, and user data and, and privacy. And if you take each individually, they're, they're not good, but it's, you know, that, that can happen. That, that can happen. Uh, you would hope that a company the size of, let's say, Google or Microsoft has extra safeguards so that it would never happen. But individually, they none of these would have been, you know, the final straw, but they all were concerning. But things just continue to happen. And it gives me an impression that they are so focused on making a product that we love, and they do that, and then getting it to market, which early OnePlus, they, they had very, you know, a very tough time getting phones in people's hands and advertising it and being with their community and being one of us, which is all cool, but they were forgetting about some of the basics on how to care for our data, and they have a lot of it. And let me be frank. It's not because they're a Chinese company. I trust companies from China just as much as I trust companies from America, and that is none. I don't trust them. I hold them to their promises. Uh OnePlus just goofed up one too many times, and and it has to stop. I do want to say that my biggest concern and the biggest thing I ask for is OnePlus, let's let's be transparent. Tell us what you're doing, what's going on. And they have reached out to me, and my opinion has turned around in just a few days. I – it's hard to do it. It's so hard, and – I don't want to say it wasn't their fault for the things that happened with, you know, data gets in the wrong hands. It's still their fault. But when you get all the circumstances and you hear exactly how it laid out, yeah, stuff happens. It was a string of really bad luck. And I'm still very concerned, not because they're Chinese and not because of anything they've ever done, but because they – are doing so much at the same time and focusing on, you know, the little things sometimes gets lost, but 
I want to try. I, I, I'm, I'm going to pull back and I'm going to say, yeah, that red 5T is really nice. And if I was in the market for a phone, I think I might get it. But with a whole lot of – I'd be tense and worried. I'm not going to trust them completely yet, but I trust them enough to try again. Andrew, yeah, uh, I, I, I want to ask you something because there's a, an ongoing thread on the OnePlus forum uh, going over what happened with this credit card breach um, mm-hmm. on, on OnePlus.net. And on January 19th, the company comes out and says, this is what happened. There was a malicious script. We've, so, we've spoken about this before. It was two weeks in a row now. But that's it. That's the last update that we've gotten from the company. Uh, it says only potential affected customers will receive the email about what they're doing next. Is that good enough? No, I don't think it's good enough. I I understand that you want to maybe you don't want to continue to advertise that you had a security breach. But these are the people that are your your biggest fans. If you're on the the OnePlus forums, you, even if you didn't, you know, you're probably on those forums because you know, maybe you have a OnePlus 3T or OnePlus 5. You you were not affected by this latest round. Uh the people that just bought a 5T aren't the same level of fan as somebody that's still on the forums a year and a half after they bought their phone. They need more information. Even if you have nothing more to tell them than, you know, we're still working on it. This is our, you know, this is our latest update. And it doesn't have, you know, they don't have a substantial amount of stuff to say. This is the kind of thing that you need to bring people up to speed on because it is, it's just a trust thing. There, of course, nobody outside of the people who made a purchase during this affected time actually has anything to worry about. But everybody else wants the reassurance that they're continue that OnePlus is continuing to work on these sorts of problems. It's not about the the credit card breach in, in itself. It's about going forward and having trust from your your most loyal customers. You know, I, I understand why they haven't said too much since they, you know, told you this is what our action was going to be, and I don't know what they're going to say or what can be said. And I, I, you know, I don't know all the details, but I do feel like uh, some of the stuff that I was told they were doing behind the scenes was a good thing. And it would be so great if they would tell everyone, I mean, it's not my place to tell anyone that, you know, they took care of you. It's their place. I feel like they took care of you, but, but it took, them reaching out to me and one-on-one, you know, let's cut the crap. Let's just talk that they can't do that with everybody. So maybe they, you know, fill everybody in a little bit. Yeah. I, it goes way higher than that for me. I mean, like I, this is, this is several degrees of not good, like addressing this individual concern in such a way that Jerry has, has, you know, kind of warm fuzzies about how it happened uh, is, is one thing. I I want the companies that I give money to to demonstrate to me that they that that security and privacy aren't just things that they think about when it's a problem. Like this is this is something we you know we joked about when uh, 
when Samsung's phones were blowing up. You know, we we said that the the Galaxy S8 was going to be the safest phone that Samsung ever made. You know, the the next phone that OnePlus made is going to, or the the next time someone goes to buy something from the OnePlus store, you know, is going to be the safest transaction that OnePlus has ever you know encountered. But but this is not a uh, this is not a, a you know a, a manufacturing defect that couldn't have been prevented. Security was not a priority for this company, and then I, I haven't seen any evidence that suggests that security is a priority for this company moving forward. Aside from, you know, we're being scolded right now. Like, I th- there needs to be more there. there. There needs to be some kind of evidence that that security is and continues to be a priority for not just OnePlus, but any company that you're going to give money to. Yeah, I think that the problem is that you don't, like people, there are some people that are going way in the other, like way too far in that direction saying like OnePlus is actively malicious and stealing data. That's that's all BS. And we need to cut through all of that to the, the thing that is still a real problem, which is not doing enough to stay secure. But is that not somewhat the price you pay for paying less? Yes. No, yes. not when it comes to the transaction system. Are you kidding me? No, the, the credit card purchasing thing is is table stakes. Absolutely table stakes. They could always use... I mean, this all kind of stems from the fact that OnePlus sells through its own website in the US and that's it. They chose to only sell and fulfill through their own website, do their own payment processing, which, uh, you know, not their own payment processing. Of course, it's always some kind of a third party, but this is all mitigated if you, for example, just go to a third party and you sell through Amazon or you sell through B&H or, you know, whatever. They had all of these other options and they chose to go through their own portal. That's like there should be no expectation whether you're buying a $500 phone, $1,000 phone, $100 phone that your payment is not secure going to that company. My my biggest gripe wasn't about the credit card breach. I That's the causes the biggest headache and it's the the most you know intrusive breach because it's our financial data but look who that's happened to that that credit card breaches that that whole system needs looked at because you know if it can happen to the bank of america you can't hold one plus to the fire too long for that my problem around it is one plus didn't have a lot to say and then other stories came out and this other company that was supposedly was the investigators, the crap that they told me, I don't believe that for a minute. So we don't have a lot to go on of what happened. I mean, what this comes down to for me, I mean, as far as the credit process, the, the credit card processing thing, because I agree with Jerry about the, the other investigation. But as far as the credit card processing thing goes, I stopped shopping at Target when they demonstrated that yep. they couldn't take care of my money. Like it was, it was that simple. They, they, security was not a priority for Target when they had a massive data breach and three of my cards were compromised. I don't see any reason to treat OnePlus differently. So the the issue here is, is it OnePlus's responsibility? And and I, I know the answer, but I mean, let's just play play it out here. Is it OnePlus's responsibility to ensure the stability of an outside c- contractor, like a payment processor, uh, the same way that is it? Is it Target's responsibility to ensure that its merchant services companies, that that the merchant services company that it employs is not allowing for these vulnerabilities to be um, inserted? The obvious answer is yes. It's obvious, but 
the the way that companies save money is by employing these outside contractors by using by outsourcing their their point of sale their merchant services their um you know their their credit processing in general none of them do it internally and as jerry was saying it's not this is not a this is not a small merchant problem the reason shopify exists is because it's hard to sell things online right it's just that some companies do a better job of putting security at the fore like nobody knew that i don't think anybody knew what other company what what company oneplus was using other no. than paypal right it, it comes down a- it comes down to the messaging and how you handle the customer service afterwards it's it's Correct. not like we're saying that this could never happen i mean obviously there are huge uh way bigger breaches than this it's how you handle it and how you reassure yep. people that you've done your part and and beyond to fix this and that's what i was yeah. trying to get to earlier it's okay for them to reassure me on a one to one basis but unless they want to do that with all of their customers, they need to find a way to publicly regain everyone's trust. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was getting at earlier was I, I want OnePlus to come out and say, this is how we are taking care of you in the future. Right. This is how we assure you that this isn't going to happen. You know, that this is this is how this is an example of how seriously we are taking, you know, personal security and, and your information moving forward. And that, that we haven't gotten that yet is really odd because it seems like kind of an easy thing to do yeah and i i mean i'm just surprised that it's been two weeks since this breach or since the disclosure of the breach and oneplus has not made carl pay or pete lau available for comment normally i mean when things like this happen companies are throwing their ceos and cmos at journalists saying Yes, we are open for business. We want to talk about this. Look at what's been going on with Zuckerberg, right? When mm-hmm. Facebook disclosed that it was changing its uh, the uh, its news feed and deprioritizing news, when it made all these changes to its algorithm in the feed, it made Zuckerberg, who is basically the hardest person to get an on-the-record comment from in the world, uh, available to everybody to talk to. I mean, not us, but like everybody being like the big the, the big um, news companies. And, I'm sure that we're on the list. Oh yeah, no, 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 we were, we were way, we were right under, um, uh, you know, uh, Breitbart for that. So, um, mm. whoa, you know, but I, I just think that it's interesting that OnePlus, being a company that's all about its customers, has not gone to the extent of making their biggest, most public faces available for comment. I don't know. It would uh, it would reassure some people. I know it would. It would help. It would reassure me. Yeah, I, it's it's. I, I can't stress that enough. My opinion has changed, but that's only because they reached out to me on a one to one basis. That's not good enough. So, can you talk at all about what they? I don't said. I don't. I mean, basically, it's just you know we didn't. We, we, we're not publicizing everything that we did, especially about the credit card breach. But we were on top of it from the minute it was reported. We did everything we could to make sure no new users were affected. And that was my biggest beef is that they didn't shut the payment system down it, it soon enough. 
But I come to find out that the payment system was open, and you know, I, I don't want to say too much. They 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 stressed that they did what they needed to do to make sure any new payments while they were investigating weren't being affected. Which mm, okay, okay, that's good. Let's tell everyone that, and not just have it secondhand from somebody like me who doesn't even know the details. Tell us one plus. We want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, are we are we cool with OnePlus? I mean, is yeah. this is this going to blow over? Oh yeah, it'll it'll blow over. It'll it'll blow over for everybody, but people that you know are mostly concerned about privacy and security. And even those people, OnePlus can can make it right. I I if if they would come out, come clean with everything they've done to alleviate the problems that that would help. Maybe they will. I I hope they will. I mean, this isn't finished. The investing. Let's also, let's also talk about the other things that OnePlus has, has had lobbied at it, right? It's not just this, this one incident. I'm in the middle of writing something for tomorrow. Well, we're recording this on Friday, so it will be on a Saturday and it's, we we sometimes tend to blindly overreact. OnePlus got got screwed, and our friend Artem from Android Police, he caught it before I did. That OnePlus wasn't really guilty of a lot of the stuff was getting leveled at them, especially about the clipboard. And I don't know, it was a few different people seemed to have a a program to try to destroy OnePlus's reputation, and a lot of it just was not true. Uh, the the clipboard is I, I think the the new cool word now is nothing burger. There was nothing there. <laughs> it it has to do with rival internet companies in China that don't want to allow a link to come through on chat services, and the clipboard monitored that, and it was an assistant to make sure that users in China that use the certain chat service could still click links to a competitor's shopping site. That's what it did. They explained to me how it did. They explained to everybody how it worked, not just me. But that got buried. That got buried mm. underneath the noise about OnePlus is stealing data from your clipboard and yeah. sending it to China. It's the first headline that, yep. that makes the lasting impression, unfortunately. I mean, that's just like that that's not just a tech thing. That's that's a an outrage porn thing that we have a problem with just kind of socially yep. right now. And that's it and came at a we're bad not time. immune to that. We're not immune to that ourselves. No, either. no, mean, we're not. We no, put ourselves not. right in that in in that mess. I mean, I don't want I don't want to blame OnePlus for something they didn't do, but they they haven't exactly created an environment around their their company in the way that they handle the messaging of things right. that lets people give them the benefit of the doubt at this point. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the big overarching issue is something like that comes out. And the fact that anybody thinks, Oh yeah, that's totally a plausible thing that could probably happen with this company right now. That is a very bad sign. And that goes back. I mean, to the days of wet t-shirt contests to win a phone. One plus has always in the beginning, they tried to be controversial and now they can't get rid of that tag. Yeah, that's a good point. I think we'd be able to give them more of the benefit of the doubt if that legacy wasn't there. Right. So the OnePlus 5T is uh, available 
in two sizes, right? It's, uh, well, two storage sizes, 128 gigabytes and 256 gigabytes. Andrew, you think that is kind of overkill. You wrote a piece earlier this week about how 64 gigs is pretty much okay for everybody. And uh, you gave some, some, you know, you showed your maths. I did. uh, If I were British, I would have showed my maths. But because I'm not, I showed my math. (laughs) So talk about that. Tell us why you think that right now 64 gigs of internal storage, obviously that doesn't include optional micro SD storage, is okay for most people. Uh, I th- the biggest thing that I looked at was, and Alex talked to me about this as well and kind of even gave gave me more firepower here, really down the, the size of the files that we're all, we're all downloading, they haven't, in terms of media and apps and things like that, they haven't increased, uh, you know, multiple times over. Uh, sure, apps have gotten a little bit bigger. Photos have gotten a little bit bigger, you know, things like that. But we're still, you know, when we locally cache things like video, it's typically still in just 720 or 1080p. Um, most of us are still recording video in 1080p, things like that. And yet in the last couple of years, we've gone from a standard of 32 gigs of storage to a standard pretty much in in higher end phones of 64 gigs of storage. Uh, so our demands for storage have not doubled, and yet our baseline of internal storage has doubled. And I, I kind of just added up a few things. You know, say you have a bunch of one or two gigabyte games, you record 4K video, which is a huge one. It's about five megabytes a second of recording, which is uh, it can add up quickly. But you add all that together. You add in podcasts and music and all that kind of stuff. And I, I can see how the average person is, is using more than, you know, what, 25 to 35 gigabytes of, of personal data. Even if they never back anything up, they just hold on to that. And you easily have 40 or 45 gigs available on any given phone. And so when you look at that, you realize that the market's not shortchanging people. It's actually worked out to the point where people don't really expect more than 64 gigs. And, you know, that that shows up in you buy a OnePlus 5T, it's $500 and it has 64 gigs of storage. You buy a $1,000 Galaxy Note 8, it has 64 gigs of storage. It doesn't really make a difference. At some point when people hit 64 gigs and about $500, they don't expect their storage to dramatically increase as the price of the phone goes up. And that that, again, just shows up in the data we got. Um. You know, information from a company like HTC that in the U.S. sells to very enthusiast-focused people uh, when they're selling unlocked, and only about twenty percent of people chose to upgrade storage in the U11. Uh, it just it just all kind of accumulates to the point where sixty-four gigs looks like it, it's a fine place in twenty eighteen. Right. Yeah. So I was wrong about that earlier. Sorry. I I, I conflated my numbers. Uh, the standard OnePlus Five T comes with. 64 gigs of storage yes with six gigs of ram and the upgraded version which is um 60 dollars more or 70 dollars more oh wait no that's 60, 60 us 70 canadian um comes with eight gigs of ram and 120 gigs of storage now eight gigs that is of ram I, my, I have a, a macbook lot. air that doesn't that has eight gigs of ram and 128 gigs of storage <laughs> but andrew 
you know, the, the rumored Galaxy S9 seems to be on the verge of bifurcating uh, both storage and RAM like OnePlus. For example, the Galaxy S9 proper is supposed to have 4 gigs of RAM and 64 gigs storage, and the S9 Plus may have 6 gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of storage. More realistically, it'll probably have more RAM and the same amount of storage. I think that rumor is wrong, but yeah. let's 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 expand this. Um, I think we're settling on four gigs is okay, right? You, we don't need more at this point for most Android phones. No, I mean, look, we just got the Pixel Two and Two XL, um, and those are going to be supported for the next couple of years. Well, from this point, a couple of years. There, there isn't going to be anything that requires that you have more than four gigs of RAM and and sixty four gigs of storage. So everything on top of that is kind of just gravy. Um, I mean, even with OnePlus offering you an extra couple gigs of RAM with the higher end model, that's kind of like a they didn't want to do four different SKUs where you could pick your RAM and storage independently. So they're kind of just throwing you a little you know extra bone there for for the sixty dollars that you give them. Um, I mean, this comes down to the other part of, of my editorial when we're talking about storage is um, it's expensive for companies to offer multiple models with multiple different spec uh, levels and storage levels. Uh, it's more skews of every single thing that they have to do. And that's why, like you said, I don't really you know put much weight on the Galaxy S9 and S9 Plus having a different amount of storage. Uh, when you look at the S8, S8 Plus, and Note 8 all having the same amount of storage, that kind of looks like what we're going to be doing again. Uh, it just gets more expensive, more complicated, and kind of unnecessary to do that when the phones are otherwise identical internally. You know, though, I've, I've been thinking, and I think everybody on this podcast with me knows, and a lot of the people listening, I think it's ridiculous that you want that much RAM and storage in a phone. That's because I'm old and cranky. But well, the, the the Galaxy S9 is the exception. And you know why? Because their desktop setup. Right. That's that that makes a difference. Give me 8 gigs of RAM and give me 256 gigabytes of storage and then I just might be able to use this as a portable desktop. Russell, yeah. What about for VR? I mean, that's my you know, that I think sometimes needs that extra bit of ram and storage i mean vr and ar both are, are going to take up it's, it's uh, very similar to the point that jerry was making there about decks is that you know there there's just more things that can be done and that's that's been a lot of the things that we've seen with a couple of different phones this year is that you know what if what if your phone was your entire computer um uh, is is kind of a big deal but with with vr you know it's the the files for a lot of the games are larger than than most of the games that you're going to be using. Uh, not not appreciably larger to take away from Andrew's point. Uh, you it's it's, it's not you know much. orders of magnitude larger, but definitely larger. Uh, and and AR apps uh, have uh, a tendency to also be pretty big. But but you know the big thing that AR does that VR does not do is use the camera at the same time, and that becomes a lot more important. Uh, you know, RAM in particular becomes really important with augmented reality stuff because uh, a lot of people don't know uh, that your your camera uses more power than anything else on your phone. It consumes so much in the way of resources. You know, just just having the camera on and functioning 
because of all of the processing stuff that the the phone is doing while that's happening and uh, augmented reality stuff uh, you know on uh, on the iPhone for example it was a big feature update uh, for for Apple when uh, when they pushed AR kit uh, 1.5 to make it so that the things you saw through the camera lens were 1080p and then you know so you have to keep in mind that that's a camera that can do 4k you know at, at uh, you know 120 frames per second or 60 frames per second rather with with you know very little problem. Uh, you know, can't can't generate a 1080p uh, image through its own camera while drawing augmented reality stuff like that was how much processing power was being used in order to do that. And so so having additional RAM and having uh, a faster processor are, are both big deals when it comes to augmented reality stuff, but less so virtual reality stuff. Right. A lot of that has to do with your display. When When you turn your phone on before you see the logo and before it comes up. It allocates a portion of the, the actual RAM as video memory. People that are listening that have a computer, you know you have a video card with memory in it. Well, if you have a 16-gigabyte video card in your computer, your phone doesn't have a video card. It needs to use some of that 4 gigabytes of RAM. So, you know, a, a Galaxy S9 Plus with 8 gigabytes could pre-allocate 2 gigabytes of RAM for the camera to use or for an external display. If you use DeX on a 4K monitor, it gets sluggish and nasty. And that's not Samsung's fault. You know, this is their first try. They need to put more RAM in the phone for you to use it on a big 4K display. Maybe that's what they're going to do. So the other thing, um, Andrew, the cost of, of memory, both storage and uh, both RAM and and internal memory is is going up because the demand is just through the roof. So the disparity between storage sizes uh, from a price perspective is going to continue to be a profit driver for companies like OnePlus and 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 um, anybody that's offering different storage sizes mm-hmm. between I mean, two we've models. Seen- We've seen Apple perfectly execute this with the iPhone 10, offering 64 gigs and then, you know, offering, what is it, a $150 upgrade? Or shoot, is it, uh, it can't be 200 I think, can it? I, I, I was thinking Canadian dollars, so I don't know. That's, I think it's about 100 bucks. Yeah, it, it's it's like 150-ish dollars, but it goes all the way up to 256 And so they don't, they just skipped that middle, that middle step now. Um, basically... The only time it makes sense monetarily is when you can convert people at a pretty um, at a pretty large premium for the percentage of the cost of the device. I mean, even one plus the one plus five T sixty dollar bump is nice from the end user perspective, but that's more than ten percent of the cost of the phone. So it's more than a ten percent bump, uh, and that's kind of the amount that you need to charge in order to make that makes sense um because people think oh well the chip yes it's getting a little more expensive but the, the you know the chip doesn't cost 150 dollars more it's like of course it doesn't um you're paying That's like two dollars more right you're paying for the justification of the fact that they have to actually have inventory of a whole nother skew of the phone that is 99 identical and then has to have this piece different 
and you can't just fly like you can't just flip that on the fly. That's not like the last thing on the assembly line. Like, all these things are baked into the inside of the phone and it's not easily compartmentalized like that. It's not like when you're building a desktop computer and at the very end you decide to put double the RAM in. It, it's a bit of a gamble too. Uh, OnePlus is offering you a, a nice RAM upgrade for 60 bucks. And most of that cost is fixed. It's their own cost. Like we said, the chip may cost $2. I don't know what it costs, but we're going to use that as an example. Next month, the chip may cost $3. You think, well, that's only a dollar. When you're ordering 100,000 parts at a time, that's more than a dollar. That's $100,000. And yeah. you can't go low because if it's popular, you make it, you know, you're going to screw yourself. Yeah, so you you have two big principles here. One is just it's an opportunity cost. So for a company like OnePlus, or a better example probably is HTC, considering the low volumes we're talking about, like selling unlocked in the U.S., is every single phone that they roll off the line with 128 gigs of storage is a phone that could have had 64 gigs and has a much higher percentage chance of being sold. And so every time that you're you're seeing a 128 gig one come off the line, the cost of that is really paying for the extra amount of time it's going to take to sell that phone rather than, you know, could have sold a 64 gig phone. Now, of course, we're not looking at a situation where HTC is selling out of U11s. They can make however many they want, but they don't want to make too many of one or the other. And so that's really what you're paying for. And we're not even factoring in the costs of something like Apple, where they have to have them stocked in carrier stores and Apple stores and Best Buys and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, online sales definitely helps smooth this out a little bit, but it doesn't completely eliminate it. And th- this is what we've seen. The other final example that I gave was uh, we saw the Galaxy S6, you know, historically, you know, the Galaxy S line SD card had an SD card. They cut it out and did 32, 64, and 128 gig storage options. Nobody bought the 64 or 128 options. They always bought the cheapest phone. And Samsung obviously gets saddled with all of these extra high storage models. And look what they did. They went back to SD card slot and one storage option. Right. And it's just easier that way. And it's, as you said, it keeps down inventory. And people don't actually care. Uh, For the number of... Uh, the the handful of you that have you know 200 gigs of downloaded uh you know or have 200 gigs of mp3 files you sideloaded from your computer there are you know 100 million other people who don't have that and um samsung is happy to give up those 12 sales to make a uh, 100 million uh phones that are all the same this this isn't the first time andrew's looked at this problem andrew do you remember man it was years ago I think it was with the Nexus 4 that we had this same discussion. Yep. And we all did a little bit of investigating, and we found a, a friend of the site who let us in on some iPhone sales and how nobody was buying anything but the base memory models. So yeah. if it happens because to Because that's – you know, Sorry, go ahead. I was say if it, in the United States, if it happens to the iPhone, it's a real thing because the iPhone is so much more popular than any other single model of phone here in this country. Yeah, absolutely. 
It's also important to keep in mind that while while a lot of people buy the iPhone at its base model, there, there's also a pretty routine set of problems, or at least there was with the the storage, uh, the low storage of the iPhone, where the the update couldn't yeah. be downloaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know because there there wasn't enough free storage, and so people are are deleting photos and stuff. So I mean, there's it. We've had this conversation over and over and over again, and I, on some level, people just buy the cheapest version because it's the cheapest version. That that's not. In and of itself, justification. I, you know what? And I, I put that on the manufacturers. If you sell me a phone with 64 gigabytes of RAM, I would really love, or of storage, I would really love it if there was actually 74. You had a separate module with 10 gigabytes that was just there to cache for updates. Do that. Change, change the way you build phones, charge an extra $10 for the phones, and take that worry away from the users. Cause yeah. It happens on Lie Android, to me about too. how much storage is on there. <laughs> lie to me about how much storage is on there for my own benefit. Yep. It's a white lie. It's 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 yeah, it's it's for it's for your own good. If you don't know, nobody's gonna care. Except somebody's gonna go into oh, you yeah. know, the I, CPU-Z or whatever system info app and Oh, and it's it's gonna be on a it's gonna be on the OnePlus six too, and it's gonna be a national nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Never again. <laughs> fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, fool me four times. Fool me for my own benefit, shame on you. All right, well, let's uh, let's take a break and let's thank our first sponsor, Thrifter. Thrifter is the best place to get all of your deals. If you're looking for a new pair of headphones, a new micro SD card, or even $100 off your next auto parts purchase, you can go to thrifter.com. Like we do every week, we're going to go around the circle or the square or the squircle, whatever it is, and we're going to pick our favorite deal of the week. I have a feeling I know what Russell's is going to be, <laughs> uh, and um, and uh, we'll see what people come up with. But we'll start with Jerry. What's uh, what's your pick? Ooh, I get to go first. This week? The Gear Three Sixty for sixty five bucks. Is that the new one or the original? It's the original, and it's it's not nearly as nice as the new one. But for $65, especially if you've never had a 360 camera or never played with one, yeah, if you have any type of passing interest at all, grab it for 65 bucks. Now, Russell, is that – I know that you have a lot of experience with both. There are advantages to that first model, right? Yeah, so the bigger one had a removable battery, uh, which was kind of a big deal if you're taking, mm-hmm. if you're taking photos for, for extended periods of time. Uh, the stitching for images was a little funny, uh, but it but it wasn't like a deal breaker. It's just you noticed a line there uh, when you did stuff. But it, it's it was still a really good camera for what it was. It's also a little lower profile if you were going to put it on a tripod uh, because yeah. the actual bottom screws off to put the tripod on, whereas the new one, it's kind of tall and skinny no matter what. But, and I exactly. see it as yeah. this is your your entry into 360 photography from a name you trust for only 65 bucks. Yeah, that's a really good deal, actually. All right. Uh, Russell, you ready? Oh, I am. Please. I know what you thought it was going to be, but joke's on you. All oh. Plat makes a uh, stainless steel uh, pizza kit. It's a pizza stone with a pizza cutter and and a, a tray, like a good stainless steel tray for putting mm-hmm. it in the oven. Uh, they're only 90 bucks right now. If you like pizza, which means if you breathe oxygen <laughs> uh, and you don't own a pizza stone, you are doing it wrong. 
mm. because making pizza at home with a pizza stone is is a truly life changing thing. It makes the pizza so much better to make at home. It, even it, if you're just does. buying like a crappy frozen pizza, uh, like if you're just tossing a DiGiorno in in the oven, you still put it on a pizza stone because it makes a genuine difference in how the the crust cooks and tastes. So. Uh, if you do any kind of cooking at home and you're, you like the idea of cooking pizza at home, these things, are, they're usually really expensive. Uh, All Clad has them for 90 bucks right now, and that, that is actually a really good price for that kit. Stainless steel bands. I, I use a regular pizza stone, and I buy one every two years because I use it in the barbecue grill, and it cracks. Yep. The stainless steel one wouldn't crack. I ought to show my wife that. That's amazing. I'm I'm so jealous of whenever I see Russell cooking for his family, I'm like, I just I, I wish I lived closer to you so I could drop by and have yep. you cook for me. I would totally cook for you. Thanks, man. Uh Andrew, what do you have for us? Uh keeping on the cooking theme, uh there's discount on those the standard classic kitchen aid mixers. And I know this wouldn't be something that normally we'd ever talk about but i have this exact one that's being used in this photo here this nice white KitchenAid. these things are freaking amazing if you've ever tried to bake or make pasta or whatever with anything other than like a top-end mixer you've you've just done it wrong it's yeah. only 170 dollars which normally these things retail for like the high 200s 300 dollars. you don't th- this is like the cost of you know, some mid-range one that's like, you know, you're you normally, you know, would kind of splurge on, but you get the real deal. And these are the things where you buy a KitchenAid and you're going to use it for 20 or 30 years and it's going to have absolutely no problem. Uh, just you buy one of these for, if not you, for somebody else that you know that can bake very, you know, tasty things for you. And if you don't consider buying one, at the very least, spend the next 20 minutes after this podcast looking up people who have done custom artwork on these things to yes. make them look like Boba Fett. Oh, I don't know about <laughs> Boba Fett. Yeah. yeah, I've seen you can buy them. Yeah, the custom artwork that gets done with these is super well, cool. And they do. They just last forever. Uh, Andrew mm-hmm. knows if you look at them, they're, they're steel with nice enamel paint, like, like finish on a car. Yeah. yeah. They don't. They don't wear. They don't wear down on the inside, on the outside. I mean, they take up a lot of room on your counter, but they're so they're just beautiful, like industrial objects, and you love to have it out. It's like my wife said it. Yeah, exactly. It looks good. It's a decoration as well as her mixer. She has a red one. Yeah, yeah. My mother in law has the that candy apple red yeah. one, and I want to steal it from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bought it uh, for my wife. I I'm like, baby, you sure you want me to buy you a mixer? That sounds very. Like a, a, a not a very romantic present. She said, shut up and buy me my mixer. I'm like, yes, dear. So oh, there's also a really sick looking orange one on Amazon too. Yeah, I, I like I like the colored one. Like I, I just think that they're super neat and you can match them to your date. My my wife has a whole color scheme in our kitchen. Everything's blue, so Ooh. um you can get one to match. I actually was gonna pick the La Crusette butter stoneware thing but i'm like you don't you don't need to spend 34 dollars on a on a, yeah. on a butter dish that's even though your money can be sale, better spent elsewhere <laughs> what i am going to suggest actually is something that's really cool and something i could have used a couple months ago uh it's a set of jumper cables from aki so this company is familiar to you if you have bought uh you know cables or or battery backups and this is a 12,000 milliamp hour portable charger for your phone, 
but it's also got a 400 amp um, jump starter kit for uh, a car with a, an engine up to five liters, uh, if it's a gas engine or 3.5 liters, if it's a diesel, diesel engine. Um, and it's only 35 bucks, which is, or 38 bucks, which is really cheap for something like this. You don't need another car. You don't need to, you know, get the, what, what is, what is it in the U S what's the equivalent of this, the CAA, um, triple triple a, there you go. The company that comes out and, uh, rescues you when you're stranded on the highway. If you have a bad battery, if the, if it, your car won't start, you can try using this. If you have a smallish car, they actually make another one that has an 800 amp booster, which will get your SUVs and, and larger trucks up and running. Um, but that one's a little bit more expensive. That one's 80 bucks. Um, anyway, I think this is a great piece of kit just to have in your car. And it comes with a 12,000 milliamp hour battery anyway. So it's not that much more expensive than a regular 12,000 12, milliamp hour battery at 38 bucks. And yeah, you can't go wrong. It's made by Aki. So that's my pick. And uh, that's Thrifter. So if you are looking for any of these deals, if you want to sign up for their newsletter to get some great deals in your inbox every morning, you can go to thrifter.com and we thank them for their sponsorship. I wanted to throw out one thing for Thrifter. This isn't my pick because this doesn't appeal to most people. But if you've been looking for speakers for a Chromecast audio, I know a lot of people ask me about it. There's a pair of Cherry Clips or Clips. I, it's hard for me to say that word. The the powered monitors. They got the three inch uh, three way speakers. I have those, and they are amazing. And two fifty nine is about a hundred bucks cheaper than I paid for them. So if you're I'm looking, searching those for are it. there. I can't spell Clips. Yeah, that's 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 so that they should change their name to make it easier for me to say. But uh, they yes, they sound great true. and they look good. All right. Well, ask, uh, thank you for all those picks. Um, so let's let's continue on the you know sort of news train here. Google announced earlier this week that it removed seven hundred thousand malicious apps from the Play Store in twenty seventeen. This is obviously this is something that Google does every year, but this in particular is in response to accusations that Google has been allowing apps with malware both to appear on the Play Store and stay on the Play Store. Um, And they're saying that 99% of all apps that were malicious were removed before a single user could install them, and that the 700,000 number is 70% more than in 2016. Um, Jerry, is this this impressive to you? Is this something uh, that you're, you're... you know, that, that we should just take for granted or is this, you know, is Google in, in a good place here? Yes, yes. And yes. Uh, and from a user's perspective, ideally we, nobody should have to care about any of this. Uh, it's, it's impressive that Google can find them before they reach any users because of the system they use. They check the apps after they're uploaded. Whereas Apple checks them before they're uploaded. Uh, most of the time, you can't find the app on the Play Store until Google scanned it, unless you actually know the URL. But that you know that's a big difference when it comes to monitoring what's being uploaded. But uh, a lot of this seven hundred thousand number was the Google is changing the definition of what they consider malware for the good. That's the impressive part. 
Google's an ad company. We expect them to allow scummier things from ad other ad companies in 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 their apps. Uh, a lot of the stuff we don't like, ad, you know, ads need to know your location so they can track you. I think that's malware. Security researchers will call that malware. By definition, that's not malware because it tells you it's going to do this before you install it. Google lets those in the Play Store, you know, but they've tightened up on some of the other things that that ads can do without explicitly saying that they're going to do it. They can't latch on to a permission and use it in a creative way anymore, and that's great. So awesome, Google. Keep it up. And they're also talking about things like apps that are copies or impersonations of another yeah. app to try and try and fool people yep. into downloading something they they think is one thing and it's actually you know actually malicious. Um, I think that's the important thing is it's not necessarily quote unquote malware. It's you know any app that has malicious intent, right? And that's something I'd like to see both Apple and Google do more of. You know, if I go search for Angry Birds, I should only find one app. That, that's a yeah, trademark or name. Snapchat or you right. know whatever. All of these things. The the problem there is it's so you know it's so hard. You know, is like is it a utility or is it a straight up copy? You know, what are they actually trying to do with that? Uh, especially when we see things like, especially uh, like when HQ uh, trivia was not on Android yet. I mean, it's a perfect example. Yeah. Somebody will upload something called HQ whatever trivia game or game trivia. And, well, it's not necessarily impersonating another app because HQ Trivia is not on Android yet. Uh, you know, how do they police that? But I think they're they're doing a great job. And any any assertion that Google is okay or, you know, passively or you know, actively letting bad apps in the store is just insane. I don't understand why Google would ever do that. You've got to remember, too, that the store isn't like other Google properties from the profit standpoint, the the store, the only way the store makes money is if we like it and continue to use it and developers continue to use it. It's not ad driven by ads in your Gmail. So Google wants us to like the Play Store. And it's you're right. And I think the important thing there is is not it's not just a volume game. Google doesn't get paid based right. on the number of apps in the store. They get paid based on converting people buying yep. and coming back to buy more apps and sign up for subscriptions. Yeah, I think that's really where we're gonna see a lot of growth in the next year or two is in subscriptions. Google's incentivizing companies as Apple is as well to sign people up for a recur on a recurring revenue basis and um, they're getting a larger cut. I think it's 85 to 15. Um, so the, the, rev the developer is able to take 85% of the revenue after the first year. Um, and that's, that's a lot, you know, if you're signing somebody up like Evernote or whatever yeah. ring for a $50 a year subscription, the developer gets to keep 85% of that. That's significant. And, the Play Store is the one. I mean, it gets it gets railroaded, but I mean, the Play Store is very trustworthy. I have never felt that an app I'm downloading is endangering my my phone or my my personal information. That said, there are a lot of bad apps on the Play Store that I would just never look at twice. It's going to get better. It has to. Every year, it'll get a little bit better. On one front, and then of course it'll get worse on another front. It's it's a a never ending game, but I think Google does a pretty good job. 
as does Apple. I'm not playing favorites. Microsoft does a great job too. All these companies <laughs> realize the importance of their app stores. And you can even, laugh at Microsoft's app store. No, but- I, I, I am. I'm going <laughs> to laugh because even our Windows Central uh, colleagues think that the Windows Store is a piece of crap that yes. has no apps in it. But from and I a, just find it hilarious. But from a user privacy and security and they monitor to make sure that you're getting what you think you're getting, they're doing a good job. Yeah, no, I guess I guess so, but they they just got they got nothing. Every time I open a Windows PC and I and I I go into the Windows Store and I look, I'm just like how is this still a thing? Like, how is it still so empty? Yeah, your mistake was going in there in the first place. It's a great model, and we know it's a great model that works because look at Apple if you have a MacBook or a, an iMac. The, the, the Mac store works really well, and it's very popular. Uh, it's just Windows wasn't able to convert users to use it. That's so crazy. Um, all right, well... I don't know. I, I, the Play Store is this weird, this weird thing that where, where yeah. Anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll discuss it another time. I don't, I don't even want to get into it anymore. Um, Russell, let's let's talk Android P because I am, I'm really interested in figuring out exactly what it's going to be. If, if it's going to be a big update, Jerry, you can also talk to this, and when we can expect it. So what are you hearing? What is it what are, what are the what are the rumors floating out in the interwebs about Android P? I mean the the two biggest things are that uh that it you know it's it's going to double down on on Google's whole services plan from last year where you know they're they're kind of personalizing everything so that it's all for you and and uh there was a lot of suspicion that last year that was going to include kind of third-party facing tools so developers could take advantage of that and and contribute to this whole like personalized ecosystem but this year I think they're actually going to do it uh and and so that's going to be like a pretty big thing the the other uh, the other really important part of this is that uh, if Google follows the same path that they followed last year with releasing a developer preview before uh, Google I.O., because Google I.O. is earlier this year, there's every chance that we're going to see the first developer preview for, for Android P within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, we saw the first developer preview of Android O. When was it? it, it about March, it was March. Yeah, it was. It was. It was the the third week of March. It was close to the end of March. I think it was like March twenty first or March twenty right. second. Uh, and that was, you know, it lined up so that you know we we had two developers had two straight months to work on that, and then a whole lot more details got filled in at Google I/O. Uh, and then you know, of course, we had developer previews two, three, and four before the 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 final version had come out. Uh, but it, you know. If they follow the same path, which there's no there's no reason to assume that they won't, because that that worked out really well for for Google and and developers last year. Uh, then you know if if they want Google if they want developers to have the same amount of time uh, before this Google I/O because this Google I/O is two weeks earlier than uh, than it was last year, uh, then that that pushes it back either to the first week of March or possibly the last week of February. And you know we're seeing the early dribs and drabs of what we think are P and our, <laughs> oh, man, I'm a child of what we think yeah, are Android P in our, uh, in our analytics. And, 
it'll it'll probably only escalate from there oh god this is this is gonna it's, be a- it's in, well so to be serious about this for a minute this is it's a really important thing to keep in mind that we see every year we don't talk about it but we see google or or someone you know poking around uh you know a few months before anything is officially announced uh with with the latest version with the next version of android in our analytics like we you know last year we saw people trickle in with android oh before that it was android n and it it all follows a, a pretty realistic pattern where we talk about it behind the scenes we don't usually talk about it publicly uh, but it, it's the same basic pattern if you go back and look over the last couple of years of, of our internal analytics for, for Android Central, where it starts off, you know, we'll, we'll get two or three, you know, hits from something that's just labeled, you know, Android P uh, in, in, say, a week. And then, you know, it just it just very, uh, you know, uh, uh, like almost algorithmically scales up, uh, you know, and, until we've got, you know, a, a couple of a couple of hits an hour uh, from from Android, uh, you know, whatever the next version of Android is. And it's, it's never much, it's not like we get a ton of information from it. Uh, but you know, a lot of times it ends up being kind of location, uh, location centric where we can see that it's coming from mm-hmm. mountain view. Uh, you know, so it's, it's not hard to guess what's, you know, what's happening there, but we're, we're seeing the same trajectory of, of, you know, uh, things that are, are looking like Android P hitting, uh, Android central, and it's it's happening earlier this year than, or the volume is happening earlier this year than it has in previous years. Well, I, 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 if you don't understand web analytics, every website you visit needs to know what browser you're using and what operating system you're you're using, so they can render the page correctly and serve you the right stuff. It's not that we're spying on anyone. No, and you can, you know, it is it is possible to, you know, it's important to preface or to to state with all of this that it's possible to manipulate your phone sure, to, to but, tell a server that it's Android P, you know, it, it's not impossible to, to say, Hey, you know, this, my phone is running Android P to, to get, you know, analytics to, to do stuff. But this, it, you know, this, this is something that we've monitored over several years if, and it, it's just very simple. If you've been active in any Android community, you know, our forums anywhere, you've probably talked to an Android developer. Not all of the, the people that write Android or the people you see on stage most of them are just fans of technology just like us and they visit websites yeah and they they sometimes read android blogs yeah yeah not just ours all of them why not why not we sometimes read our competitors how about I, that I, I read every day i i how dare you no this get is get your head in a get your head in the cms right now i we 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 try to do a great job, but so do our competitors. They they have good stuff that's worth reading. I'll never they tell have anybody awesome they should. I mean, I'm I'm the first to admit that our competitors, Android Authority, Android Police, Droid Life, Android Guys, I don't know the other. I'm sure there are plenty of others that I'm forgetting. Are Ozdroid? Shout out Dan. Yeah. Um. You know they do great work, and we're very lucky to be in an industry that can support this much competition that just shows how enormous android is and google in general so shout out shout out everybody i guess um but yeah jerry you wrote something that was kind of interesting a little bit trolly i'm curious about i wasn't trolling no i I know but it's a little i mean (laughs) definitely comes across that way if you think about it um but when i'm sure you're you know you break it down it's not tell us about why you think android p may be designed for Chromebooks. Well, in a nutshell, we need another honeycomb. 
if, if, if you weren't around back then, when Android tablets first came out, it was even worse when you installed an app than it is now. Uh, Android on, on a, a big screen is, is not a great experience. Everything works to the credit of the people in Mountain View. It all works, but it looks horrible. It's a jumbled mess. You don't have the control over your virtual space. I don't want to call it a desktop on a tablet, but you know, your home screen, you, you don't have control of what you did want to display and where and window sizing and multiple windows. Yeah. You can put two there and you can move a slider and break it in half, but look at a, a windows computer or a, an Apple computer and at the desktop and how you can maximize your use of space that's missing from Android tablets completely. Then look at an iPad and see how that can be done. And we need that again. We need it because Google has shown that they have very big plans for Chromebooks with the the Pixel Book. The Pixel Book is, for all purposes, an Android tablet and a Chromebook baked into one. And at this point, if they want the Android side to look and operate as efficiently and as beautiful as the Chrome side, we need some new tools for Android developers and some incentive for them to use them. So that's what Honeycomb was way back when to try to get people to try to get developers to build apps for the new Zoom and the new big Samsung tablet, the the tab, the original tab. They were amazing devices for their time. And it would have been great if the software had, you know, matched the, the, the magnificence of the device itself. We're at that state again. Android on a Chromebook. You think the Zoom was magnificent? From a hardware perspective for its time, yeah, I do. It was b- bulky and ugly, but the it was hard, a beast. The hardware, yeah. It allowed for wireless local uh, music sharing. Like that, that at, its, at the time was awesome. Yeah. And it had a power button on the back. Because that's what you wanted on a tablet. <laughs> well, <laughs> tablets kind of sucked back then. That was, you know, you had an iPad and you either copied an iPad or you didn't make a tablet. Well, the Zoom broke that mold and brought a little more. That was cool. So it had, it, it was released in, in May of 2011. Uh, it had a Tegra 2 processor with one gig of RAM. for one. Um, it had a 10-inch screen with a resolution of 1280 by 800, a 5-megapixel rear camera. Um, <laughs> it it was upgradable to yeah. Ice Cream Sandwich, but it came with Honeycomb. It did eventually get updated, right? It was also upgraded to LTE. You, yeah. you had to send it in yeah. to have it upgraded to LTE. Stop talking bad about the Zoom. I like the Zoom. No, but, I'm uh, not. I'm I, <laughs> I liked it. It was a it was a very interesting product. But for- but I think it it's an interesting way to look at the history here. That how you know so many years later we're still now we're talking about a different form factor. We're talking about Chromebooks and convertible tablets, but we're still talking about problems with window management and yep. app scaling and all that kind of stuff. Six seven years later, and I know Andrew uses Chromebooks from time to time with Android yeah. apps. And I know a lot of people listening do. And if you do, you know that it is great for your favorite app to work and work just like you expect it to. But it's not so great that it's either 
a phone-sized window shrunk down to nothing or a full screen with everything bunched over on the left side and the rest is white space or control buttons get huge when you expand the window. There is a lot of jank and ugly that needs fixed. Yeah. And let's be clear, like we've compared this to the iPad now. Apple still does not do a great job of this. No, but it's on, on the iPad. If if Google could get Android on a, a large screen, as good as the iPad is right now, I would be so happy because the iPad, even with its problems, is infinitely better than what we have on Android. Oh yeah. And Google knows this. I it's not a big secret. And stop it, phone. I didn't call you. Uh it, it's just – it's a problem, and they have been unable to fix it. The only thing they can do is throw tools at developers, and this would be a great release for that to happen. More APIs that are really designed to help developers use the big screen. So, Jerry, is the scale there for Chromebooks? Do Does Google now invest the same resources in that form factor as it does – in Android, it's still, um, it's still a gamble, but they'll know in three or four years. I'm 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 less convinced that it's a gamble when you consider how much of this is still being used in schools. That like as a long game, you have to keep in mind that like a lot of people are are growing up with with Chromebooks as in some cases their their first computer. And that's why and that's I'm precisely saying, their goal. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I'm saying it's it's for, from the consumer side, it's a gamble. When these children in a few years will be graduating because they've been doing this with Chromebooks for five or six years. So you're going to have a, an entire class of students that started with a Chromebook in the sixth or seventh grade and have used a Chromebook throughout you know, high school. And now they're graduating and some are moving off to college. Some are entering the workforce. Are they going to buy a Chromebook? If so, Google has won because that's that's – in the United States and in small pockets in Europe and small pockets in South America, every student has a Chromebook. So my big question there, though, is we just got done talking about the Play Store and how Google benefits from the Play Store only when you know there are apps that actually convert into paid purchases or subscriptions. That's one extra barrier that has to be dealt with on, on Chromebooks for as... Uh, you know, we've seen all these things talking about what the conversion rate is on on app purchases and things on Android versus iOS. People aren't buying apps on Chromebooks right now. The the quality is not Absolutely. high enough. I, and somebody that's buying a $199 Chromebook, even a $399 Chromebook, is not trained or expecting to pay money for, for apps and let alone uh, subscriptions and things like that in a way that somebody that's on a more expensive traditional computer Absolutely. may have been more into that because they're coming at it, especially if, if Google is marketing them more as these convertible devices, you're coming from somebody that's, you know, they're buying this as an appliance, especially Chromebooks. They're saying, I buy it because it has a good browser on it and it has access to all of Google's free services. And Google says, Look at this. You get your free Google Drive storage. You get all this kind of stuff. You can use Google Photos, all these free services. You know, but developers that aren't Google or aren't Microsoft, you know, making special versions of their apps for Chromebooks, they're not seeing any value there. They're not seeing the money 
in you know making a an app that looks good on a Chromebook unless it's part of a larger service that you pay a subscription or pay elsewhere, pay on your phone kind of thing. And, and the ball is in Google's court because what Andrew and I asked for two years ago has happened. A $500 Chromebook that's got excellent hardware but is not over the top like a Pixel for 1200 bucks. You can buy anywhere from three, 350 somewhere around there to $600 and get amazing hardware in a Chromebook from HP or Acer or Asus. They're all being made. I mean, you can buy a waterproof Chromebook. Think about that for a minute. And it's got, you know, eighth generation Intel processors and eight gigs of RAM and a 1080p, you know, anti-glare, eight, uh, you know, IPS display. It's, it's beautiful. It's great hardware. The manufacturers are doing their part. The hardware's there. It's great. It even looks good. The The Chrome team has, I think they've done an excellent job. Chrome has shaped up to be even better than I ever thought it would be. And you can discuss the functionality versus your other brand of laptop. And that's that's not what they're interested in. What they want it to do, it's doing great. Now it's time for the Android side to step up. And that means Google has to invest. So... One thing that you can do on a Chromebook is play games. Uh, you can play games from the Chrome you know, extension store. There are a few there. But you can also download them from the Play Store. And with the ability to sideload, you can install GameStash. GameStash is our sponsor. Um, and it is a service that allows you to spend 5 bucks a month and you get access to unlimited games on the service. There are hundreds of them and they're adding more every week. Recently, the company added games from Capcom and Square Enix and more. To, there are more to come in March, including some of my favorites. Um, a couple of them, there's one called OK Golf, which is kind of amazing. There's another one uh, called Sanitarium and Another World, Little Big Adventure, Goblins Trilogy. You may remember these because they are old they are remakes of games that were popular in the 80s and 90s and they are back on the plate on uh, game stash they were they're available on the play store but you can play them for free uh on game stash you can sign up for a free 14-day trial by going to gamestash.com slash ac pod that's gamestash.com slash ac pod and you can try it for two weeks no questions asked cancel anytime and we thank them for their sponsorship and we have a, a full tutorial on on our website on how to install that on your chromebook and use those games if, if you'd like it's not hard yeah i mean android games play like any game on on right. a laptop right like it, it's you can use a you can use your trackpad but if you have one of those convertibles you can just turn it into Flip tablet it over, mode yep and yep play it like a like a big tablet it's kind of uh, cool Tom, he, he works with us. He's a, he's a writer for our site. He and I are also looking into wireless game pads. We're going to find the ones that work great on Chromebooks. But we can tell you what to do there, too. Not a bad idea. Actually, it's, it's interesting. Like, will the Chrome platform ever really be a, uh, a gaming platform? It's, it's an interesting question, especially since they're so efficient. Um, Chromebooks aren't known to be as powerful enough you know for gaming but for most android games they, they should be fine so 
there's a couple a couple more topics that we wanted to discuss. Andrew, the Shield TV hasn't been updated to Oreo, even though Google announced that an Oreo update would be available for uh mm-hmm. for TVs, Android TV back at IO, they're actually showing off a version of Android O for Android TV back at Google IO. This is May 2017. (laughs) (laughs) I played with it. It looked fine. It worked really well. But NVIDIA says that it's just not ready because nobody really wants it, right? There's just no no need for it. Um, Walk us through this situation because... It's kind of it's kind of upsetting. Yeah, the the problem is twofold. One is that the the Shield Android TV in in particular, it has a lot of love from Nvidia and they've done a lot of work on it. They've included a lot of exclusive things like their gaming stuff and um I believe Amazon Prime Video is still is that still exclusive to the Shield TV? I believe so. So, you know, they do uh, 4K, HDR, all these kind of things. It's like the most supported Android TV box, uh, I think, far and away in terms of uh, company support. They're always partnering with Google. And even in this situation, they're expecting that Android developers aren't enough up to speed to push out this new update to Oreo because it's going to break a whole bunch of stuff and it's going to end up, even though Oreo really offers this, would you call it a simplified interface, more of a lean back experience, less scrolling around, that kind of thing. It's like more stuff up and available. That's the entire problem too. And so with this change, they're expecting it's going to break so many things that even with a new interface that's better, it's going to be worse overall because other things will not work. And, and when the interface switches to the new the new style that developers aren't supporting yet, you've lost all of your stuff. You're going to have – instead of the grid where you have the apps you've used and the apps you've downloaded – you move to a list that's going to be empty because developers haven't added the the metadata that puts their apps in that list or their programs or anything. And it's going to just be a big blank slate. That's bad. That's really bad. Because kind of the idea is that it looks into the individual apps and surfaces things on Netflix that you may want to right. watch rather than just having a bunch of app tiles and game tiles that you launch. It's going to try to surface those things. And the current version of Android TV kind of does this with recommendations, but it's only with certain apps with things like YouTube and of, of course, things like that. This is way more of a lean back experience. You turn it on, you kind of just browse around and then you open it and you don't care as much about jumping in and out of apps, which is really good from a user standpoint. You love the idea that, I mean, this is the whole idea of having a super powerful, capable box is you plug in all of your services and then it can, you know, surface things from multiple different areas. But when even the maker of the the box, NVIDIA is saying, well, let's, let's hold off on this because in our testing, it just doesn't work properly man android tv is it's fighting with android wear for the most depressing part of android and it's it it really is nvidia is on top of the shield if you've got a shield you know you get an update every month so it's not that they don't want to 
spend the money. I, I would imagine they probably have the software in a state where they could release a beta right now. They've done the work. It's not because they're lazy or they don't want to spend the money. It's, uh, you know, and this is coming from me. I, I kind of think this is the right decision as much as I hate it. Yeah. What's really frustrating is um, Android TV started supporting picture in picture back in 2017 with uh, 2016 with NuGet. And there isn't a single app that I have on my Android TV, not even YouTube. Nope. Supports picture in picture. It's so ridiculous. You know, this is kind of the problem with uh, these separate uh, set top box type of things is, you know, developing your, your apps for that platform and doing special things like picture in picture and all that kind of stuff is so far down on the list for a lot of people that, I mean, really all they care about is the fact that Android TV or the shield Android TV supports Amazon prime video. Like they care more about the fact that prime video is there and it works than just about anything else. And so it's not a high priority thing to add. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that almost everybody with a shield TV would be served just as well with a Chromecast because all they're doing is watching Netflix or Amazon TV or, or Amazon video. That's that's the biggest issue is that, yes, it's super capable and it does all these things, but it's extra dependent on the companies behind it that are serving the content being up to speed that it really is tough to make it work. It looks great in a demonstration, but there's so many moving parts for such a tiny market that if you're Netflix, I mean, even for a company like Netflix, you know, it's easier just to make sure that your Chromecast support is fantastic and you address an, just an infinitely massive market of people uh, than trying to address something on yep. Android TV. Hey, Daniel, I, I got a question and I'd like to hear your opinion here. How successful do you think Google would be if at I.O. they get on stage and say, we're putting our foot down if your app isn't updated to work, you know, built for Oreo in 30 days? It's not listed on the store anymore, <laughs> like Apple does. That would be a huge uh, failure, wouldn't Apple, it? Apple doesn't even do that. What Apple did was they said, your app has to be updated to support 64-bit processors, and we're cutting off support for that. And what ended up happening was it, it just orphaned millions, yeah. or maybe not millions, but hundreds of thousands of apps. Um, I think Google will have to make that choice at some point, but it's certainly not going to be anytime soon. And it's not going to be in response to Android TV. No, that, that's no. that's what I'm curious about. I, th- Google has to do something, and when they do, yeah, it, I don't how think it's going to do anything. It's it's going to be such a huge mess. It's already a huge mess. I mean, let's let's talk about uh, something that's a little bit more close to home. Essential announced earlier this week that it's not going to be updating its Essential phone to Android 8.0, even though there have been three beta releases. And um, what's the problem keeping them from releasing it, Daniel? Bugginess. Nap time. And uh, stability. And they're saying that Android 8.1 is going to ostensibly fix those problems. Now, not a single phone on the market other than the Pixel 2 is running Android 8.1. Sorry, the Pixel and Pixel 2 and ne- Nexus 6P and 5X. But not a single phone on the market. So the fact that Essential cannot make its phone stable on 8.0 the same release that my huawei mate 10 pro 
my Sony Xperia XZ1, my Motorola, my Moto uh, Z2, my God, these phone names, uh, Z2 Force. None of them seem to have stability problems, but you know, this just shows that developers have hard time have a hard time with Google's code sometimes. This one's just extra hilarious because all of these companies that you just rattled off that have 8.0, their their 8.0 builds are so much more stable than essential 7.1.1 build that it's laughable. So I'm kind of thinking that the problem is not 8.0. Maybe the problem is the company that couldn't release a stable version of 7.1. Impossible. Do you know who Am runs... I off my rocker? Do you know who runs Essential? I've heard of him. <clears throat> Some guy, robot I, guy. <laughs> I feel like he did something before he worked at Essential. He worked at this other company. The name <clears throat> <Android>. escapes me. <laughs> oh, that's that's right. That's weird. Which, you know, we we can make a joke, but that's probably actually the problem. He he's not the one writing the code, but I'm sure he has a team of developers that can push the envelope. And and really get fancy with the way they're using the Android, you know, the source code, and it's not stable. And they thought they could fix it, and now they can't fix it, and they have to wait for the next release. And I'll bet they can't fix it then either, unless they scale yeah. back. It's kind of one of these things where I think they're saying, okay, we didn't get there with 8.0, and at this point, it's best if we just start not start over but kick it into 8.1 and okay we'll just release it with 8.1 we've seen this with uh we've seen this with samsung motorola etc like they maybe they just wait until that next maintenance release to use that as the time they release rather than updating and then updating again but with a company like essential you have so few customers it's not like you're you're sending out an update to 10 million people or something and you're worried about this it's just more indicative of the fact that they're they're they have a very small team in way too deep over their head they can't figure out how to get their software stable as is i would i would love if instead of working on an 8.0 update or an 8.1 update they worked on a 7.1 update that gave me software that maybe wanted want to actually use the phone that's the crazy thing is it's it's a it's a better PR move. It looks nice to be working on Oreo and talking about Oreo, but like come on, that doesn't erase the fact that every single day you don't release a new update, people are still using your crappy software that that's on the phone currently. I mean, we we forgot even OnePlus. OnePlus is is not it's rolled out stable Oreo now for all all of its 2017 and 2016 phones except the 5T which is on it's third open beta um, mm-hmm. and is on its way to a stable release. I haven't had any issues with Oreo on the OnePlus phones at all. What's really interesting to me, though, is just the the different um, the, the different places along the line that all these companies are at. Right, Sony, for instance, released the Xperia XE One with Oreo back in September. But I haven't received a single security update since September, whereas companies like Samsung have not updated their phones to Oreo yet, 
but I, I'm on January 2018 security update on all of my Samsung phones. Um, and I, I, it's, it's very interesting where we're at with that. Uh, BlackBerry, for instance, Jerry, another company that is pretty well known for its fast security updates. The key one is still on Nougat. Uh, the motion is still on Nougat, right? No, right. no release date at all for Oreo for those. Uh, so, I, yeah, but BlackBerry's a little bit weird though. It's more like a, if, if you have an enterprise IT. No, you could just stop there. BlackBerry's yeah. just a bit <laughs> yeah. weird though. They, they, they're, they still think their customers don't care about Oreo because it's it's let's make you know this hardened bulletproof system and and you know features are one thing but we're going to sacrifice features to make sure that you know your phone works with some obscure version of Microsoft Exchange from 1994 that that's what they think their customers still want so yeah i mean sorry russell you were going to say something no, I sure wasn't. This is all really sad. It makes me <laughs> sad on the inside and on the outside. Oh, but you still look so good in your glasses. <laughs> I do. When Marshmallow came out with a 6.0 and then a 6.1 soon after, I predicted this. I, I blame Google for a- Android 8.0 is a release that's supposed to be easy for other companies to transition from 7.1 or 7.1.1, or whatever they're running into Oreo, whereas 8.1 has all the features and it's hardened, baked in. That's just going to cause problems. And I'm I'm amazed that this is the first real issue, or, well, this is the first time a company has actually said that we have to wait for the .1 release because it's just not stable. It's 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 got to be a mess. So... We'll we'll talk a little bit about a an S, an editorial I wrote also earlier in this week uh, called the unbearable Sno- slowness of Samsung's updates, and this got people talking because it's a it's basically an annual tradition around this time of complaining <laughs> where the hell are Samsung's you know updates for its flagship February now it is now February second and we still don't have Oreo even though the beta is is ending which means that we're on the road to getting it but most carriers in the u.s didn't get nougat for the s7 line until late february t-mobile only started rolling it out in like february 21st last year um we're getting p earlier this year than we did oh last year so they will have no excuse and i think alex put it put it well the earlier we get the latest developer preview, the less excuse Samsung has not to release the Note with the latest version of Android. And yet the Note 8 launched with 7.1.1. And I said, like, they need an excuse. They don't. I, there's, exactly. I, I don't see any way that it's going to release on, on P, but, you know. Samsung's doing it right. I'm sorry. This is the one time that I'm going to have to disagree with everybody. It's it, most important for Samsung to make sure the product they sold you works the way that they promised it would and to honor their privacy statement and their security statements by keeping you up to date on their flagship phones that you bought with the incremental patches that keeps Android Nougat running well and and keeping secure, 
that's where the focus should be. Now, a company as big as Samsung should be able to have an entirely separate software team working on that, you know, outside of the people who are building for the next version. You know, I, I'm not sure how they, they operate, but I am completely pleased that they're doing so much better on security updates, even if you have to wait an extra month for Oreo. I'm sorry. But it's not a matter of waiting an extra month. And it's not a coincidence that the update to the next version always seems to align with the next flagship release. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that's, that's a money thing. Well, it is. A, yeah, absolutely. It's a money thing. Uh, the difference is that one, like Google, for instance, obviously is in a privileged position, but Google released Nougat or, or Oreo for the Pixel in August. So the, the, the first Pixels got stable Oreo in August and released the Pixel 2 with Oreo 8.0, not even 8.1 in October, November, late, late October, early November. So there was a window there. And I think Samsung probably could, given that it started its beta, you know, when was it? In September, October? October, I think. Somewhere before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So it's been a while, and they've had a lot, they've had a couple of beta releases. Obviously, the scale is much bigger than any other phone on the market, but. I don't know. I just I think that they don't prioritize updates. We we're hearing that LG, for instance, isn't going to update the G6 and V30 until June of this year, which I wouldn't Ugh. doubt. Um, I don't know. I companies just don't care about updates if they don't sell phones. I think that's what it comes down to. You know, I I mean, I, I still think that Samsung's doing it right as far as keeping your phone running the way it should be because, you know, doing the things that it was supposed to when you bought it. I still think that's right. But the entire update problem is never going to go away. I'm 10 years from now, if you want a phone that gets the next version of the operating system it runs, it's either going to need to be an iPhone or whatever Google has named their phones. It's never going to go away because a company like Samsung doesn't make any money by updating their phones. It's a, they lose money when they update. Yep. Yeah. I, I, there's really nothing else I can say about it other than just write an annual essay to complain. Yep. And it's, it's, (laughs) that's definitely wrong. That's, that's not fair. That is totally not fair to people who see Google promising that their phone can do all this cool stuff. And then they have to wait and wait and wait and sometimes never get it. Look at the, the G4. It was just completely – or the G5. It was completely abandoned. LG doesn't care about the G5 at all. I don't blame them, but uh, you know that's that's not fair to the people who bought it. I can't fix it. Yeah. Well, LG is a whole different, whole different thing. Uh, if you if you want to learn about that, go listen to last week's podcast because yeah, yeah. we excoriated them on on last week's podcast. All right, I think we're going to leave it there for this week. It's getting late on Friday here in the East Coast, and I got a date with my wife. Oh. Nice. Is it with Zadie? Um, well, f- first it's feeding my dog. 
<laughs> and then it's taking my wife for dinner. So yeah, priorities, folks. Because、yes. my dog will, my, my dog will not forgive me if well, I don't feed her. Your dog will, will your eat dog the cat at your、yeah. house while you're gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, That beautiful dog is massive. She's. I yeah, would not ever make are, her. Are you、angry. and your wife riding the dog to the restaurant? <laughs>、uh, it's too cold for that. No, it's it's negative fifteen Celsius here tonight. So we're gonna. Wow, Lord gonna have mercy. Subway. You're lying.、Um, it never gets that cold. No, it it can't. People die when it gets that cold. I I don't. I've got my fingers in my ears. Okay. I'll just be over here <laughs> complaining about how it's forty, and I got to put a second jacket on. <laughs> Yeah, Fahrenheit. Well, obviously, there are reasons to live in Canada other than the and the, than the weather. So, yeah,、uh, you get treated. I, I、like、can't think、human. of any right now, but otherwise nobody would live there. So, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was a long one as usual, but、uh, if you've stuck around, thanks for listening. We will be back one more week next week.、Uh, no, I'm wrong. Sorry, it's it's only February second. It's I don't know. MWC seems to be next week and yet like next month at the same time. I, I think we got two more. Two yeah, we got two more scheduled pods. Then there's going to be the the MWC pod.、Um, yeah, lots more S nine stuff happening. Lots more teasing by various companies of their announcements at MWC. So we'll round those up next week. Andrew, Russell, Jerry, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Daniel. <laughs>